Well, good morning, Frontline family. Welcome in the house this morning. And to those that are watching online, we welcome you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's so good to see some of your faces. It's so good to see our church filling up more and more every Sunday. It's a privilege for me to be with you here today, church, and to bring you the Word of God. And I have a great expectation inside of me this morning what the Lord is going to do in us and through us today as we get into His life-changing truth. Before we pray, can we just thank our worship team this morning? What a beautiful time it has been worshiping corporately together. And we want to thank the Lord for His, His presence here today. Let's just remain in this attitude of worship as we go into the Word. Let's pray. So Father, we come to you today in the wonderful and magnificent name of Jesus. We want to commit this time and this Word to you. Lord, as we gather together this morning in the house and online, it is our desire as your church family to honor you. We want to honor you by obeying your will for our lives. So we ask today that you would give us a revelation of your truth and that we would take that truth and, and use that truth to accurately reflect your glory in our own lives and advance your kingdom mission in this world. Let us not be casual about your word this morning, Lord, but instead let us leave here transformed and renewed in a way that only you can do. We rely fully on your life-changing and life-giving power today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, Frontline Church, it's so good to be with you all here this morning. And I want to share a message with you today that I titled, To Whom Shall We Bow? To Whom Shall We Bow? This is the message that's been on my heart for some time now, and I felt the Lord lead me to share it with you today. You may have an idea of where I'm going this morning based on the title of my message, but just to set a foundation for you, I want to bring some perspective to, to where the church globally finds itself. Over the past month or so, I've been speaking to a couple of pastors and also listened to a number of interviews with pastors and church leaders all over the world how COVID-19 has affected the church. How it's affected church gatherings, church growth, church finances, and church commitment in general. And the general feedback I've been receiving and listening to is that the majority of the church has slipped into a state of inertia or fear or even comfort because of information and restrictions that we have received from our governing authorities and, and medical experts. Information restrictions and instructions that aren't necessarily always accurate or in line with, with biblical authority. And just to be clear this morning, church, I'm not questioning the existence of COVID-19. That's not the, the aim of my message. Because I've had some of the closest people in my life significantly affected by COVID, and by the grace of God, they've come through it. But you know people, and I know people that, that haven't made it. So I'm not uh, disputing the existence of COVID-19 this morning. But what I want to dispute and what I want to come against is the spirit behind COVID. Because you know, church, my Bible says, just to give an example, my Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love 
and good works, not neglecting to meet together as there is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And yet, what we're experiencing now is limitations on gatherings. Some churches aren't even opening, but where churches are opening, people are saying, you know what, I'm actually enjoying church online. I don't know if I want to go back. But that's not what the Bible says. It says we should be gathering all the more as the day draws near. Why? To stir up one another, to love and to good works, to encourage one another. You see, what the enemy wants is to see us gathering less and less as the day draws near. And I'm not telling you this morning, this is what I'm saying, to make you feel guilty. If you've decided not to come back to church because you need to make that decision. You see, there's a bigger picture here. I'm telling you this because behind what we're seeing in the natural is a demonic force that hates the church, that hates Christians, and hates you being committed to a sacrificial lifestyle. And my responsibility as your pastor is not to judge you or make you feel condemned. My responsibility is to teach you from the Word of God as to how we should all be responding in such a time as this. And to whom shall we bow in such a time as this? And so my main aim today is for you to leave here or to switch off online, better informed about some facts, and with a better perspective of what is required from us from a biblical point of view to how we should all be responding to a world and an enemy that wants to destroy the church and and what it stands for. And so I just want us to take a step back for a, a few moments and just realize what the world has gone through over the past five to six months since lockdown happened. Just think for a moment what you've been through. Think about the massive impact it's had on, on jobs, maybe your jobs, what it's had on business and entire economies. The significant impact it's had on us, especially our children, from a social perspective. You know, the whole world came to a grinding halt because we were told that countless millions of people were going to die. And I'm not here to debunk what everyone has said about COVID-19, but I just want to show you some of the, the stats or tell you about some of the stats to bring some clarity. According to South African statistics, around 690,000 people have contracted COVID-19 to date, of which there has been around 17,200 deaths. That means that the death rate is sitting at zero 0.02% if you've contracted the disease, which means that 99.98% of people will not die from this if you contract it. But there's another statistic. If you take the population of South Africa, which is approximately 57.7 million people, you then have a 0.0002% chance of dying from this disease or a 0.01% chance of contracting it. Some people say that most of us have already contracted the disease and our bodies have built up an immunity and it's just passed through us. And I'm not a medical expert and I'm not here to debunk what all the, the medical experts have said. But just based on statistics, our governments have shut down the country and the whole world based on a death rate of 0.0002%. And you see, this whole thing just does not equate to the response society has had. 
And look, obviously every death represents a person. So we don't use stats to minimize the real human element here because people's lives have been impacted. But just to bring some perspective for you this morning, did you know that in South Africa, there are approximately 44,000 smoking-related deaths each year? This equates to 121 deaths each day. Approximately 65,000 people die a year from alcohol attributable causes. That's 178 people per day. There are more than 20,000 people, more than 20,000 murders in, in our country per year. And I can share many more stats with you, but probably the most alarming stat of all is that last year in South Africa, over 110,000 babies were aborted. The church has been restricted to 250 people per gathering, and more than 250 babies are being killed in the womb every day in our country alone. We have been led by our governing authorities to surrender all our rights, and even our right to follow the one true authority, Jesus Christ, because of a 0.01% chance of dying or contracting this disease. And church, there has to be a point where we as Christians will have to decide and say, to whom shall we bow? You see, this is not just about COVID. Because what is the next restriction? We've surrendered our basic human rights to freely earn a living and come to the place, the only place that saves lives. And when something similar or worse arrives in the future, we've already been primed to put our tail between our legs and surrender our God-given freedoms. Especially the most important freedom of all, to worship the God of creation. You see, when the created being, which is us, starts to overstep the, overstep the authority of its own creator, we as the church need to start making a stand. And church, you may think I'm angry this morning, but in reality, I just have an urgency that's rising up inside of me to warn us of what the enemy is trying to do. Which is for the church to shut its doors and for Christians to shut their mouths and say nothing and do nothing. And I can't stand here not calling you and other church leaders to, to be aware. This is not about me and my opinion of who's right and who's wrong. This is about a very strategic plan for the enemy to get us to bow to him and to destroy the body and the power of the body of Christ. You know, church, there are many people that don't understand why we would do this. Why we would take the so-called risk to gather together in this building. The world of unbelievers do not understand the importance of the church. The world doesn't understand that it's not just essential, but that it's the only hope of eternal life for doomed sinners. People have been very concerned to make sure people's physical lives are protected in the process, which is important, but have shut down the places where there's hope for their spiritual lives to be transformed so that they can live eternally in the presence of God. The Bible is very clear in describing the world of unbelievers I'm speaking about. I'm going to give you a number of scriptures that won't necessarily be on the screen. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 it says, They are dead in trespasses and sins, and they are children of wrath. Ephesians 4 says, They live in the futility of their mind, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them 
due to the hardness of their heart. Our Lord Jesus said about people outside of his kingdom that they do not know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He said in John chapter 3 that they love darkness rather than light. They are doing evil, hating the light, and not coming to the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. Jesus further said in John chapter 8 that unbelievers do not understand divine truth. They are unable to hear the words of the Lord and they do not believe. And in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says the mindset in the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so and it cannot please God. The Apostle Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 he says for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing in other words it's foolishness but to those and to us who are being saved it is the power of God and in 2 Corinthians 4 Paul said that the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing they are blinded in their minds by Satan and you see, church, this is the divine synopsis or the divine diagnosis of the human condition. Cut off from the life of God and heading toward eternal darkness. That condition is probably summed up best in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 from verses 14 to 16, where it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see, church, we cannot expect the world to understand how essential and how singularly important the church is that proclaims the only message that can turn people from sin to God and from hell to heaven. We cannot expect them to grasp the reality of the Christian life and fellowship and worship. We can't expect that they would know that Christianity is not just a set of rules or a list of moral behaviors or spiritual ideas or, or charitable deeds. It is the worship of the true God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. True Christians believe in and love and worship and serve the Son of God. And we confess Him as our Lord and Savior, the only Lord and Savior. And I just want to stress some of the amazing eternal things about the God that we believe in. And you're welcome to agree as I go through this, this short list. We believe in a God who became a man. We believe the eternal God who died and by dying provided eternal life to those who were dead in sins. We believe in a king who became a slave. A sovereign God who exchanged the crown of glory for a crown of thorns. We believe in a righteous judge who became a criminal. A holy God who became the sinner's advocate. We believe in a just execution of sinners who became their savior by taking their execution. And because of that eternal truth, Christians believe in a holy law which provides complete freedom. A freedom which is slavery only to righteousness. 
Christians believe in a kingdom on earth with a capital in heaven. Christians believe they are wretched outcasts who became saints. They are enemies who became sons. They are slaves who became kings. They are poor who became wealthy. They are bankrupt souls who are given eternal riches. They are rebels who became friends. They are haters who became lovers, even lovers who hate them. Lovers of them who hate them. Christians believe they are victims who became victors and they are souls who die once but live twice. And all of those realities have come to us because the giver of life gave up his life so that those who were dead in sin would live forever. Amen? You see, the glory of the gospel escapes the mind of natural men, but, but we have the mind of Christ. Church, we are different. Jesus put it this way, my kingdom is not of this world. You see, we're in this world, but we, we are not of this world. We have a king and a lord, and his name is Jesus Christ. And scripture is very clear as to how we are to submit to our Lord. In Romans chapter 10 verse 9 it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? Because with a heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth confesses resulting in salvation. And salvation comes to those who confess Jesus as Lord. And so what does it really mean to say that, that Jesus is Lord? Well, for one thing, as mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So what does it mean to acknowledge Jesus as Lord? We take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience. We are in the world to take the truth to, to destroy the lies. Every lie that is lifted up against the knowledge of God. And to say that Jesus is Lord is to take everything starting with your thoughts and your deeds captive to the obedience of our Creator. We obey Christ, we love Him, and we gladly submit to Him. Philippians chapter 2 from verses 9 to 11 says... Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is so important, church. God highly exalted Christ and demanded that every conscious being in the universe bow the knee to Him as Lord. And to be a Christian is to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but in the age to come. And everything is in subjection under His feet including the church which, which is His body. And just as the body is in submission to its head physically, so the church submits to its head the governing, ruling authority of the Lord Jesus Christ now 
and forever. So as the church, we submit to him above all authorities. Peter says in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Now, does this mean that we have no accountability to our leaders in government? That we can do whatever we want and flagrantly disobey them? Not at all. God has ordained human government for the peace and well-being of temporal society. And Romans chapter 13 verse 1 clearly says, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. They've been put there by God. So we are in subjection to them, and we are to do more than that. We are to honor them and to show them respect. We are even called to pray for them in Scripture. We are called to pray for their salvation. And we did this a couple of weeks back in Return SA when we got together to pray for our leaders in government. Jesus says we must render to Caesar what he Caesar's. But church, when orders start coming in from our governing authorities that start contradicting the orders of our king, we have to observe, consider, and to decide to obey God rather than men. And there are many things you and I know, there are many things today that stand in the opposition to God's rule, God's authority, God's truth, and God's orders. Civil rulers throughout the ages have worked against God's people and have attempted to overrule God to abuse their sphere of power by stepping into the world of God's kingdom and trying to take authority. Pharaoh abused his authority over Israel and he was drowned. Saul overstepped the limits of his God-given authority and lost his throne. Solomon corrupted his reign with serious immorality and destroyed the kingdom of Israel. Because subsequent to his reign, all the kings in northern Israel were evil. And there were 19 of them in a row that came under the judgment of God. 14 of the 20 kings in southern kingdom of Judah were evil. They overstepped their bounds and came under the wrath of God. King Darius put in a decree for no man to worship any other god than himself for 30 days. And a man by the name of Daniel refused to bow to his orders. He only asked for a 30-day submission, mind you. But Daniel bowed his knee to the one and only true God. He threw open his windows and for those 30 days prayed publicly and openly three times a day. The Apostle Paul often disobeyed rulers who wanted him to deny the Lord Jesus Christ and stop preaching and he refused to do that. And he was beaten with sticks. He was whipped. He was stoned and left for dead. He was carried out of town. He was thrown into prison countless of times. And the Romans eventually decapitated him for disobeying them in order to obey his God. In the book of Acts, Peter and John began performing miracles and spreading the word of God, the good news of the gospel all over the place. And the Supreme Court of Israel warned them not to speak anymore about that name. Do you know what name I'm speaking about? They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, 
whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. We must obey God rather than men. Church, there may come a time in the life of our church or the life or the life of your individual walk with the Lord where we will have to make a choice. To whom shall we bow? If we are threatened, for instance, with legal action because as a church we will not compromise on speaking the whole truth of the Bible because maybe it's not politically correct, we will have to make a choice. To whom shall we bow? If we are threatened to close our doors again because the same spirit that's behind COVID attaches itself to, to something else, we will have to make a choice. Do we bow to Caesar and diffuse the, the power of the body of Christ? Or do we bow to the will of God and keep the only doors open that lead to eternal life? And if someone says to you, church, you can't say the name of Jesus in public anymore because a law has been passed that it's offensive to other religions and you may be arrested for that offense to whom will you bow and you know what you may say to me that's just hypothetical pastor that's that's a bit extreme that's not going to happen in my lifetime i want to say think again church did you know that there's a strong possibility that christian preaching and teaching will be sensitized by Facebook, YouTube, and other big tech companies in the not-too-distant future? That they will sensitize any remarks that include biblical correction to all the sins that society is now permitting? Because think about this. How can a, 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 how can a society let some pastor call out a sin if that sin has already been okayed and passed into law by that society? Our freedoms are going to be challenged. And not just necessarily in the form of, of a disease. But your freedoms will be challenged. And that's why I have such an urgency inside of me, church. I want us to be aware of the enemy's tactics. The, the, the tactics that used to be quite subtle are not that subtle anymore. And I'm not sharing these statistics with you today in this firm word, church, because I want to be a rebellious pastor that stands against the authority I think you know me better than that. I just want us to be aware and act accordingly. Because the time is coming where we will have to bow the knee. The question is, to whom will we bow? Some positives to take from this church is that the church always refines its convictions under duress. It always refines its, its convictions under threat. This is not a problem to be feared. And even though it feels like the enemy is gaining more ground daily, we know who wins in the end. Come on. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 19 says, When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Can someone shout Amen. This is a triumphant hour for the church to be the church. And let us, you and I, let us be the standard that the Lord lifts up and raises up against the enemy. Because church standing for the glory of our Lord is more important in this hour than I've ever known in my life.
And I want to conclude this morning with a scripture we read earlier from Philippians chapter 2 from verses 9 to 11. And I'm going to read this. I'm going to just take a knee this morning and bow to the only, the one and only true God. It says, therefore, I'll give you a moment. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just remain where you are. We're going we're gonna to end with a prayer. Father, we want to thank you this morning for your word and for your everlasting truth, power, and authority. Lord, may this be a time for your church to rise up, your true church. May your true church rise up for your honor and for your glory. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to proclaim your name and to take your truth and accomplish your will. We are grateful to carry the glory of the gospel forward in this desperate hour thankful that we can bear the reproach of our Savior and our Redeemer. We counted a privilege to take some wounds for the one who took the wounds for us on the cross, to join in the fellowship of his suffering in a hostile world. So we pray today as your church that you would raise us up as your standard against the enemy. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen and amen. Church, would you just thank the Lord for his word this morning?